Hello everyone, my name is Andrew and welcome to part 2 of what I am now calling a mini-verse series on WandaVision. To start out, I do want to apologize. I had originally stated this will be a 9-part series. I am no longer putting a number to it. So moving forward, we will be doing an all-encompassing episode featuring discussions that cover episodes 2 through 6, so we can catch up with the show's release schedule. It goes without saying that I will be trying out a few different formats and styles to really get a feel for this podcast thing, so bear with me if this series seems a bit experimental. Now, with all disclosures out of the way, let's enter back into the town of Westview and check in with Wanda and Vision. This is the Multiverse of Podcasts. Episodes 2 through 6. Don't touch that dial. Now in color. We interrupt this program on a very special episode and all-new Halloween Spooktacular. The next five episodes create quite the clearer picture, but still rough enough to merit speculation. Westview gets stranger and stranger as we are consistently thrown into the most uncomfortable of situations, from awkward pauses of silence to when those who seem to be under a spell are somehow coaxed out of their delusion and thrown into the reality that is. Their eyes fill with dread as if they've just had an existential nightmare dropped on them. A bad dream that was all too real. Funny thing, nightmares. Let me explain further. The four most prevalent theories as to who is truly calling the shots is Wanda herself may be the playwright of her own deranged, grief-stricken human puppet sitcom, or it could be any of the following three. Number 1. Ultron. Do we ever truly see him die in the films, or was his physical form erased as his cyber-consciousness awaits a worthy host, like the Vision? Number 2. Mephisto. You can think of him as Marvel's version of the devil. In the comics, he is a demon with immense power, so powerful that Wanda accidentally draws from his soul to aid in the creation of her children, Wiccan and Speed, aka Thomas and Billy. This theory has the most merit, which I'll get into shortly. Number 3. Nightmare From torturing the likes of Peter Parker to the Hulk, Nightmare, the dweller from the dream dimension, can bring to life your worst fears. Could this be our villain? Nightmares do seem to be a prevalent theme during the Halloween special of episode 6, but from what I hear, he's easily beaten, as even the great Stan Lee himself was able to knock him out with a tennis racket and brute strength, saving Peter Parker. Who do I personally believe to be the villain? I'd have to put my money on Mephisto. This could be a clever misdirection from the creators of WandaVision, but in the show's current state, all the signs point to Mephisto. And who none other than Evan Peters, who starred as Fox's version of Wanda's mutant brother, Quicksilver, should fill the role. Although rather than being immediately cast as Mephisto, he comes to us in the form of Wanda's late brother Pietro, this time being identified as the MCU's version of Pietro Maximoff. Yet another resurrection from the MCU. After resurrecting Loki so many times, you think Thanos' fourth wall-breaking joke would have ended the act entirely. This is no reality. Wanda is living a fantasy, and she is in so deep that she is allowing the illusions she manifested to manipulate her and tell her that what she is doing is okay. Or is this all the clever work of Mephisto? You see, between episodes 2 and 3, 
Wanda carried and eventually gave birth to two twins, Billy and Thomas. Are you catching my drift? Wanda cannot fathom the immense power she is wielding, and who other than Mephisto could be hiding behind the illusion in plain sight. If you've seen episode 2, you know that this is all for the children. No, really. That's what the townspeople were saying as Wanda sat back clueless as to why everyone seemed so entranced by this notion of helping the children, where there weren't any inside until episode 6. Unless those children were Billy and Thomas. He wants the children. And for what purpose? That remains to be seen. But there is still more room for speculation. Time and time again, we see the boys have an immunity to Wanda's magic, which only lends further credence to the theory that they are, at least in some part, the children of Mephisto's manipulation. All this crossfire talk of multiverses and interweaving connections between interdimensional demons and our protagonists is maddening, isn't it? Now, I think I speak for us all when I say we still don't trust Agnes. It's becoming fairly obvious that she is the witch Agatha, and I'm willing to bet that she's some kind of accomplice or liaison for Mephisto, sent to keep Wanda in check as she slowly grows in her power. Her suspicious activity involving the twins' dog, Sparky, has me thinking she may have killed the dog to perform a ritual that would allow her to absorb the dog's knowledge on Wanda. Confused and a bit weirded out? I encourage you to look it up, because it's a hell of a story. Oh, and I'm pretty sure she either has no husband, or he's dead. No thanks to her. To prove my point further, when the twins begged their mother to bring Sparky back to life, Agnes became fearful. You can do that? She inquisitively exclaims. Fearful for what reason? She's probably afraid the dog is going to tell Thomas that Agnes was the one who killed him. But why would Agnes kill Sparky? He possibly dug up Ralph. Or are they going to follow a similar storyline to the comics, where Sparky dug up the Grim Reaper? Replace the Grim Reaper with any other dark secret, and we have ourselves the perfect homage. Vision's up to no good in his attempt to help goodness prevail. By episode 5, he is well aware of Wanda's control over Westview, with the two even prepared to fight by the end of the episode. What he is once considered coincidence and happenstance, Vision now sees as an elaborate stage show laid before him, and he can do nothing more than play along. For not only his sake, but his children and the enslaved incumbents of Westview. By far the most uncomfortable scene happens towards the middle of episode 6, with Vision encountering Agnes stalled at the border of the Hex. She sits in an idle car, zombified by an invisible force. It's analogous to, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it or see it, did it even happen? Is the world around you and behind you, the world that stands outside of your vision, does that world exist? Or is reality a personal and singular experience? The citizens of Westview outside of Wanda's vision are frozen in space until they need to be used, until they become a part of the stage show. Back to the encounter with Agnes. Vision zaps Agnes out of her trance and she begins to have an existential meltdown. Am I dead? The Vision responds. Why would you think that? 
because you are? Agnes lets out a witch-like cackle and Vision makes quick business of zapping her back into her zombified state. I won't get into much, but needless to say, I feel Agnes was playing it up for Vision. She was acting, and this whole encounter was an elaborate plan to get Vision to the edge of Westview and see the world beyond. To which, of course, he does attempt to see, and he is slowly ripped apart once on the other side of the hex. The episode abruptly ends after Wanda expands her border in an attempt to save Vision from any further deterioration. Darcy is enveloped in the hex, and we are left with a cliffhanger as it continues to expand and consume the surrounding area. I fear I've left the least exciting topics for last, but if you were a fan of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. television series, then you may be happy to hear that S.W.O.R.D. has made its MCU debut. To put it simply, S.W.O.R.D. deals with the larger local threats to Earth's safety, a sort of space counterpart to S.H.I.E.L.D., Maybe Marvel has left some room for a similar show in their future Disney Plus lineup. In Tony Stark's attempt to put a suit of armor around the world, he ended up proving to the rest of the universe that Earth is ready for a higher class of destruction and warfare. As if that line wasn't taken directly from the films. Enter S.W.O.R.D. Or to break down the acronym, Sentient World Observation and Response Department. But in this iteration of the Spacefaring Government Agency, it means Sentient Weapon Observation Response Division. S.W.O.R.D. lacks the do-good nature that S.H.I.E.L.D. gave off, leaving me to wonder if they even are the good guys in this universe, or just a good agency led by a tyrant dictator. I'm still holding out that they are the good guys and Nick Fury is behind this all, but only time will tell. I know the shape-shifting scroll version of Nick Fury has left most of us dazed and confused, but remember, one of the last times we see the true Nick Fury is on a spacecraft during a post credit scene in Spider-Man Far From Home. Food for thought. There are just a few more things I'd like to mention before we wrap up, and I promise we'll continue to talk about them as long as we receive a bit more detail in the coming episodes. I'll start small. The commercials presented continue to show prior traumas and key traumas throughout Wanda's life. Hydra experimentation, Hydra brainwashing, the Lagos incident, and survivor's guilt. They don't seem to serve any other purpose than a possible offload from her psyche, so the main show doesn't become bogged down with continuous dark themes and subjects. That's not to say they're not commonly referenced, but the commercials are there to prevent her from consuming the narrative and trauma. Secondly, Hayward is the bad guy, or at least a bad guy. Mephisto? Upon? Maybe, but I'm not certain yet. I'm beginning to think Project Cataract is a sign that Ultron may enter the scene soon. This could be setting us up for a potential villainous power struggle to see who can gain control of Wanda first. Finally, the biggest reveal of them all is Agent Monica Rambo as Captain Marvel. I'm really holding out hope for this one, and I cannot wait to see further development of this character. It would be an absolutely amazing callback to the comics and an excellent way to introduce her into the MCU. But that's not to say we are done with Carol Danvers' story. Well, that about wraps up my thoughts on episodes 2 through 6. I really hope you enjoyed today's discussion. I do know it's a little bit smaller than the previous episode, which ran about 15 or 16 minutes, but my intentions 
with this podcast is to make them a little bit longer, somewhere around 30 to 40 minutes. I'm still working on that. I'm still working on building bigger narratives and uh, drawing out bigger stories and still having them stay interesting and not get plagued with repetition, you know, redundancy, things like that. So I'm really working hard on just building my narrative writing skills. And um, this this podcast is a, an extremely good outlet for that. So I'm very glad you're along for the journey with me. My contact information and social media pages will be linked in the show notes. I look forward to hearing from you. And until another portal opens, this has been the Multiverse of Podcasts. We interrupt this podcast to bring you this breaking news. Spoilers ahead. You've been warned. So I'm recording this about five to ten minutes um, after I just finished watching episode seven of WandaVision. And come to find out nearly... Nearly everything I said would happen did. I did get a few things wrong at the moment. Mephisto is not a role in this at all. Pietro was fake. He was actually an illusion by, or created by, Agatha. So yes, this is Agatha. She is not Agnes. She is Agatha Harkness. They even had a fun little jingle in the style of WandaVision uh, towards the end of the episode. And (laughs) to that, she confirmed she did kill Sparky.